Episode 30, our second episode of Season 2 of Contested Catch, but more importantly, our first time hosting our special guest for this episode. Before we get into who that is, I'm joined again by our co-host and data specialist. You know who that is. That's Jeff Gould. Jeff, how are you, my friend? Hey, Will. Great to be back on. Hopefully you are practicing some safe social distancing during this uh, nice quarantine season. I know I am. You know, that's why we do this on Skype. That's why we're doing this remotely. Um, I've never come into physical contact with Jeff before, and we're not planning on doing it now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we are joined today by Roto World NFL and NFL Draft writer, a former employee of the LA Chargers, and the 2019 FSWA College Writer of the Year, one and only Hayden Winks. Hayden, welcome to Contessa Catch. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for the intro. Yeah. Uh, Luckily, I didn't really have to change any of my lifestyle with the social distancing, just yeah. keeping myself, writing all these blurbs, and then uh, grinding some tape. So, Good stuff. Love to hear it. Welcome. Uh, did I hit all the high points? Is there anything in your experience that I missed or that you'd like to share? Um, no, not really. Just Southern California. I went to USC. Um, that's where I was like starting my internships and stuff, and then been with Roto World as a part-timer for like a year and a half, and then this last year became full-time, so... Um, it's been a, been a good two years. Yeah, you're one of my favorite reads on the site. Um, I'm Thank a big, you. big fan. I also love Thor, um, especially just because, you know, NFL draft market is flooded with crap, in my opinion. You, I agree. A lot of people aren't analytics driven, and that's something that's obviously heavily on your plate. So we're going to talk NFL draft mainly coming up. Before we get into that, I just want to ask you a few questions about yourself, if you don't mind. Um, okay. You already said you're from Southern California, but when did you fall in love with football? Um, I played football when I was growing up and then kind of just got hurt, switched over to basketball and baseball, um, as a player. But then yeah. once I got into college, um, I had a baseball internship with the sports agency and then I worked for USC athletics. Um, and I was just writing for random websites, um, part-time and then finally got caught up full break with the chargers and then just kind of going from there, but always been growing up watching football. Yeah, I saw your I saw your tweet when they finally hired someone, the Chargers that is, hired someone for analytics, and you're like, that could have been me, but right. good, good on them for finally doing that. Yeah, I was so I was uh I was a marketing intern, a season long intern for the Chargers, but the entire time I was like I had these projects open on the side that I would just like run over to the front office and just like please guys like give me a shot here. Like I was like charting plays, <laughs> doing all these random things, trying to come up with analytical work, and then. Uh, got a couple discussions with like the president of football ops and stuff that just kind of didn't go anywhere. And then Roto World reached out. So I had to bail. Yeah. Well, uh, at least, you know, that your work is being valued now as right. analytics <laughs> are much more, uh, in the forefront of the NFL world. So, yeah. So what made you want to be a sports writer? Was it just like the fact that it was an, an outlet for you, for your passion? Yeah. So I studied economics and economics and sports analytics were like 
basically the exact same thing. You're just kind of inputting different variables, stock market stuff versus mm-hmm. uh, play-by-play data. So the translation is very similar, um, but I would rather be working for an NFL site rather than a bank. So uh, <laughs> it was as simple as that. You're, yeah, you're, not, you're yeah. not a fan of the Federal Reserve? Yeah, no, see, uh, give me like the NFL scraper data and a bunch of uh, random college football data. I'd rather have that. There you go. <laughs> I, I feel, yeah. Yeah, I'm at, I actually work at the Federal Reserve, and the last month has just been like like incredible. Yeah. <laughs> not in a good way. You, you, there's, like, there's like not a correct, straightforward answer, so good luck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I feel like it's like, you know those cartoons where they're in a boat and like shoveling water out of the boat and yep. there's just a hole on the other side filling it right back up. That's like literally been my job the last three or four weeks. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so lastly, for part of the intro part here, uh, I graduated from the University of South Carolina. I believe I went to the real USC. Right. Now you went to Southern Cal. Care to weigh in on that debate? Yeah, I mean, my entire life, it was USC. No one has even discussed it before. And then my uh, my brother went to Alabama. So then when I was going okay. to Alabama, when I, whenever I would say USC, they would think it's SCAR. Whenever I write it oh, out God like bless an acronym, I just do SCAR, uh, S-C-A-R. That's, my, uh, yeah. that's the way I go with it. But yeah, I've, I haven't known it any other way. So yeah, our, our friends down in Tuscaloosa are keeping it real. Um, I respect that. You're not being too uh, combative there. So we're going to let that one sit. I mean, do you uh, remember what you went by Scar during English class one time? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, my uh, my first name is actually Oscar. So when the subs would call me Oscar, even though I go by Will, I'd just say, yeah, I go by Scar. So Classic. it was it was predestined. Um, <laughs> good stuff. So now the NFL draft two months away. This is something that we all know and love. Uh, one of my favorite points of the year, just because there's so much potential, so many possibilities. Starting with the teams, Hayden. Who's the team with the most impact, the most control in this draft? Is it the Redskins as they weigh taking two at two and all the trickle-down effect that could have? Or is it the Dolphins with their three firsts or someone else now? Yeah, I mean, I think both of those teams. The first team that came to mind was the Dolphins. I'd also say the Raiders. I mean, they have those two picks in the middle. They could possibly get a quarterback. I wasn't really expecting Marcus Mariota to get signed there, so that kind of throws a wrench into some things. But, I mean, it's the Dolphins because they can trade up. Um, and get to what they have more to offer than the Chargers do. Um, so that's kind of the big thing. I think we'll talk about the mock draft later, but debating who's going to get to it, who's going to trade up, and it's going to be the Dolphins or the Chargers. Um, I think that's the real decision point um, is those first five picks who where the quarterbacks go. Yeah, definitely. Jeff, do you agree? Yeah, uh, basically. I mean, Dolphins with the volume and the Redskins with like just the position and leverage. Good stuff. So on episode 29, our season premiere of this season uh, and combine preview, Jeff and I discussed our players that we put our stamp on. Just the guys before even testing went underway. Someone we feel strong enough about that, you know, that they're going to be a bona fide stud in the NFL. Mine was Isaiah Simmons. Not necessarily like a hot take. I think yep. many people, if not everyone, is smitten with him. And Jeff picked Jalen Ragor. Um, Hayden, who would you put your stamp on right now? We've already seen a lot of testing, uh, but who's the one guy? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about like the elite, elite players, give me Jeffrey Okuda. Like, that's the guy. If I think somebody's going to go to the Hall of Fame from this class, that's my guy. Just mm. his tape was unbelievable. He tested like 99th percentile spark athlete. Uh, yeah, that's my guy. But if we're going to go like a second tier guy, give me Justin Jefferson. Just so productive. Uh, he tested better than I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to be like an elite slot receiver, but um, he's fast enough um, and fit, certainly physical enough to go on the outside, too. So. Um, I think that's like the second tier player that um, I'm pretty confident in. 
on on Justin Jefferson, he was a guy that I was kind of struggling with. I, I just think I think I discounted him a little bit because of how great Burrow was. And right. I said, well, I mean, the production is there, but like, who isn't going to produce when you've got the best single statistical season of all time? I also felt like Chase, the other receiver at LSU, who's not going, yeah. going out till next year, was significantly better. So he is I better. Was, yeah, I, I was sleeping on Justin Jefferson, but I saw an interesting comp uh, by a former Roto World member, Evan Silva. Um, and he said he sees Michael Thomas in Justin Jefferson. I believe I'm quoting him correctly. What do you think of that comp? Yeah, I have seen that. Uh, that is very bullish on Justin Jefferson. I won't go that far, but that would not surprise me if that's what he turned into. That's somebody, like I said before, um, I think was meant to be in the the slot, but is so talented that he's could win outside. So I I think we're going to get like a top 25 pick from Justin Jefferson. I hope it goes to like the Eagles or someone that can use him properly and maybe not like the, the Bills or somebody random that would make him a part-time player. But yeah, Justin Jefferson's the guy in the late first round that um, I'm pretty bullish on. Yeah, fair enough. Um, a guy that we thought was going to be in the late first round may not now, Jalen Ragor. Um, you know, Simmons obviously blew up the combine. That was my stamp guy. Uh, again, not very hot takey, as everyone expected. But Ragor, he disappointed relative to the hype that was built up around his speed. I think, you know, we were talking in our combine preview that we thought he was going to potentially contend with rugs for that top 40 time. Um, obviously disappointed with uh, above 4-4. Um, seventh percentile agility score, that to me came out of nowhere. But considering what we've seen with regard to his, you know, both of those attributes on his college tape, is this a concern? Um, is this a fair concern to be expressed by people? Or is it more of an overreaction when thinking about Regor? Yeah, so I think he put on a little bit of extra weight um, going into the combine, which might have slowed him down. Um, and I'm not sure. His production last year was so so sketchy to me. I was already kind of under the market uh, just based off of that. Obviously, we can all point to his quarterback concerns. But, I mean, just everything about these last 12 months has just kind of been – more on like a day two player rather than day one player. Um, in my model, let's see where he came out. He was the wide receiver 12 in my model, still a 73rd percentile um, projection, but I can't, I can't buy into him as a, as a day one player. Um, I'm hope I'm wrong. I, I, when you watch him, he's, he is more explosive, but I do worry he's just going to be kind of an undersized vertical weapon. And I'm not sure if he's going to be more than that. Mm. Jeff, uh, care to defend your boy here? Yeah, um, so I guess I'll just go to the agility score first. Uh, I don't really care about that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. That's a good take. Like, I mean, first of all, I mean, like, everyone was like hating on Metcalf at last year after a bad agility score, and it didn't matter. Um, and I think it really only for wide receivers, if you're a slot receiver, it somewhat matters. If you're playing on the outside um, – like, I just haven't really found it to really, like, have any significance. And, like, Rager's going to be playing mostly on the outside. And then the other thing that was interesting is, like, of, of all the wide receivers who tested um, in the agility drills of the combine, it was, like, the worst year on record or, like, yeah. for the decade. So, I mean, that to me that says, like, okay, his agility score probably isn't that bad. If you, like, I think it's, like, 16% lower, like, as a group. So if you adjust it up 16%, like, it's a palatable agility score. So, um, you know, I don't really know what was going on there. My guess is it had to do with them testing at night, whereas usually, like, after a long day, if any reason, whatever, they're tired. Um, and then, like, and then on that same note, it makes me wonder, hey, maybe his 40-yard time could have been a little bit better if they tested during the day. Mm. Like, that's, that's pure speculation. You can't just, you know, 
assume that and plug in a 440 instead of a 447. But it's just like interesting thought process. Um, and then going to his production, I mean, his sophomore year, 1,000 yards receiving, and he had a 36% uh, dominator rating um, overall. And, like, I mean, his, like, catchable passes was, like, like abysmal, like, among the yeah. worst in the, like, in all Who's the college. Who was quarterback at TCU? Uh, I don't even know. Well, even last year, it was, like, oh. some, like, dual-threat uh, quarterback yeah who's garbage though he's <laughs> yeah. okay so like i just i'm like okay yeah his receiving yards weren't great but in the context of the offense like it was still fine so i'm like so to me he still like has one of the highest upsides in this class and like that's why i'm still higher on him than consensus but like, i can see why you wouldn't necessarily want him in the first round and you might try and prefer uh somebody who's a little bit safer and you set peg him as more of like an early day too like I understand that argument. I just think he he's still like uh, one of the, if not the highest upside player uh, of this wide receiver class. You know, he had a really interesting. I was trying to do a lot of comps for some of the big name guys at, right after the the combine, just guys that where they fit the same size and, and you know the the measurables. Um, Odell was one of the best comps that I found for for Rigor. Obviously, you know Odell has some intangibles that you just can't teach the ability to catch with three fingers falling backwards off the ground, uh, but. He's going to be an interesting guy. I think that someone might get a steal with him if he does fall like, to the end of the second round, uh, similar to what we saw with DK. So, um, Hayden, back to you. How about a player that you feel like the public is too high on that you may be off the wagon on? Well, my answer would have been Rager, but let me let me try to find somebody else. Okay, we um, snagged it from you. Yeah, I mean, I think T. Higgins, if people are still viewing him as like a first-round lock, um, I think his his – Pro day numbers were just terrible. Um, he had like a second percentile 10-yard um, split among drafted uh, wide receivers since like 2005. I mean, just like truly awful burst. I think his uh, vertical was 31. Um, but yeah, his defense, I, I used to jump 31, which is incredible. Right. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's you're a stud athlete. But if you're talking about first first round wide receivers, you're hoping a little bit better than the guy that works for the Federal Reserve. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but but to T. Higgins' defense, I do think he can be a wide receiver, too, in the NFL, a vertical stretcher. I mean, he isn't that slow once he uh, builds up some speed, and he's still super young, and I'm always targeting guys from good um, college teams. Of course, he went to Clemson, so um, I think he's a fine uh, second-round receiver, but if people still think he's going to go like around pick 20 or 25, um, I think I have to sell that. Yeah, we we were. I was actually planning to talk to you about Higgins because we were going to talk about the mock and the Bills. Obviously, the situation's changed a bit. But um, Jeff's comp, which I really have started to warm up to for him, is kind of a poor man's Mike Evans. And right. I think that actually makes a lot of sense just because their, their numbers are actually very similar. The size is there. The ball skills are there. But Mike Evans isn't a guy you look at and say, that's a wide receiver one like a DeAndre Hopkins or a Michael Thomas. Or, you know, there are a couple other options. Julio, obviously, is a size speed freak. But brings so much more to the table. So I think that's that's pretty good. And honestly, if he turned into that, that's worthy of a second-round pick. Mike Evans is a very valuable player. So. Definitely. I'm on playerprofiler.com, and uh, his profile is almost identical to Mike Williams. Mike Williams? Like, like, all, like all the numbers. Player. I like that. I like uh, like Higgins has a little um, little bit better of production, but like the athletics, like 4.59, um, 40, speed score is almost identical, burst is almost identical. They're both 6.4. It's like actually like eerily similar and both Clemson. Yeah. That's right. 
I can see. I, I think that's kind of like this similar role. I think Mike Williams would have been higher ranked just like on my personal rankings going into Me the too. league. Um, but like a regular field stretching wide receiver to you for the NFL. I think that's kind of where he falls in. So we've talked a little bit about this wide receiver class as a whole already. Now, speaking of Mike Williams, I mean, we saw a couple guys go in the top 10 around his time coming out. Um, and yet we're seeing a potential historic wide receiver class and we're cautiously mocking CD lamb to the, to the Cardinals at eight. Uh, the only guy I've seen really mocked in the top 10. And now that they've got nuke, it's not even really a part of the conversation. So is this just like almost tragedy of the riches here where we're just seeing so much top tier talent that it's depressing their value as a whole? Yeah, a little bit. And that even uh, extends into free agency. I mean, Robbie Anderson hasn't got the market that he thought. Amari Cooper got his got his money because he had all the leverage in the world. But even the, the rest of the wide receivers haven't really been signing. We're into day four of free agency. But I think the sweet spot's going to be like around pick 11 with the Jets. I think they obviously need a receiver, especially if they lose Robbie Anderson. Mm-hmm. All the way throughout the teens and uh, into the 20s, I think that's where we're going to see like um, – three at least three in the teens like the early teens probably and then like get six or seven in, within like the first 40 picks um but yeah there, there's a lot of talent what's what's good is you kind of have a player that fits into different roles if you need a slot receiver if you need an outside receiver um if you just need a big weapon like lavisca Chenault, you have that option too so um i i do see it as cd lamb jerry judy henry ruggs in tier one and then yeah. kind of justin jefferson's kind of in his like the tier two by himself right now. And then you have your Denzel Mims, your Ragers, your Brandon Ayukes, and uh, just going down from there uh, as like the tier three guys. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's very fair to say. Um, and, and last one of these types of questions, I saw your combine rises and followers article. You broke down by position, but is there one guy that really stood out to you that you were like, wow. I mean, I have a guy in mind and it's in that position group we we're just talking about, but is there someone uh, that really helped their stock soar after testing? Um, well, I'm looking at, like, Chase Claypool was yeah, so I was insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that was somebody that was on my radar um, going into the combine. I didn't realize he was that athletic. I mean, his his market share numbers at Notre Dame were pretty good. Um, his production just in general was pretty strong. So he was on my radar, and then he tested way higher than I thought. And um, I think sometimes when we're looking at just – the combine numbers, they don't tell us that much about um, their projection going into the draft. But one thing it does do is it does improve their draft capital. So Chase Claypool is going to be somebody that was probably going to get drafted in the third or fourth round, and he could even sneak into round two now. So that's definitely a riser. Yeah, I'm Jeff and I are both Bills fans, and I am petrified that he's going to end up in New England. Because, <laughs> yep. I mean, doesn't he off-field stuff aside, doesn't he just kind of remind you of an Aaron Hernandez-type player, the size, yep. the versatility? Now, he doesn't want to be a tight end. He wants to be a receiver. But come on, if you're going to New England and they ask you to play, like, you know, H-back, you're going to do it. If you're going to be in the backfield, that's scary with that size. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he's going to be, like, a big slot. It just kind of depends on, like, where he lands. If Obviously, um, he's somebody that you're going to have to be really paying attention to, like, what offense he's in because he's somebody that can fall into the wrong offense and then just be totally forgotten about um, but I mean, yeah, he, he's just going to own one-on-one matchups. If you get to undersized safety on him or a, a corner, that's not fast enough. And that's going to be way undersized and he can be, um, a down the scene guy. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that the combine doesn't necessarily tell the whole story, taking a break from specific players for a moment. Let's talk a little bit about spark 
for those of you that don't know, Spark, S-P-A-R-Q, is a composite uh, score, combines multiple athletic metrics into one number, but this number is flawed. And Hayden has done an awesome job of coming up with an alternative. It's called Adjusted Spark. It's right in the name. You wrote about this for Roto World, and can you just talk a little bit about Adjusted Spark and its value to us as people trying to evaluate prospects? Yeah, so with Spark, that's a it's a composite athletic score, so it's taking all the combine and putting it just into one number. The issue is is it's not specific for each position. So an example last year, there was a running back out of Kansas State, his name's Alex Barnes. He was a 99th percentile uh, Spark athlete. But if you look at how the formula is created for Spark, it puts way too much uh, weight into like the bench press and then some of these like like the vertical jump, which are good to have. It's not bad to be stronger and jump higher. But if you're looking at historical averages, running backs, most of it's about the speed score, a little bit about the agility drills. So it, the the formula needs to change by position. Um, of course, like you have a um, and it's more important to be like stronger as a defensive tackle, but the bench press doesn't tell you anything about the corner. So what adjusted spark does is I created a, a model for each position. And then sometimes even within positions to properly analyze, uh, which, uh, combine test, uh, should go into the formula. So, um, it's the same thing with spark. You're going to get the percentile athlete. So like, for example, um, Jonathan Taylor was a 96th percentile adjusted spark athlete. He was a 90th percentile regular spark athlete. That's because my model weights um, speed score higher and less of these other things. So um, going back to Alex Barnes as my example, he was like a 99th percentile spark athlete because of the bench press and these other things. But his speed score was like 50th percentile. So he, he was actually an adjusted spark athlete of like in the 60th percentile, which I'm more comfortable because I don't care about the bench press for, for my running backs. So um, that's why I use it. All of the sites or all of the numbers are up at rotoworld.com. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. And I also think that your analytics 300, which we'll we'll reference a little bit later, uh, is really good, too. And obviously you have the percentiles laid out there, too. Um, OK, so I want to bring up a few names that I know we'll have some fun talking about since their combine scores came out. They're just interesting players. And I think the combine does add some color. Uh, number one is a guy that we have been engaging a little bit about on Twitter, Hayden, is Jalen Hurts, uh, a guy that obviously I'm very high on, Jeff's high on, and it seems that you're very high on as well. Uh, he's our QB3 in this class. From contested catch, we're saying QB3. I have a first-round grade on him. Um, someone that, I obviously, first-round grade, that's way above the public. And it's, I think one thing, just a quick aside, when you're engaging in conversations about this, people are going to be hot-takey. They want to be, I was the most on right. this guy. Um Jeff and I, to our credit, were big on Lamar when he was coming out. Again, petrified he was going to go to New England as Bills fans. <laughs> uh, but even all 32 teams passed on him. People forget this. The Ravens took Hayden yep. Hurst before him. I right. love – I can't remember who it is, but someone always brings that up. It's Davis Maddock or something like Maddox. that. Yeah, yeah, Davis Maddox. Like, I can't believe the Ravens passed on Lamar Jackson for Hayden Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyways, Jalen Hurts um, – what are your thoughts on him? Who do you see taking him potentially? What's the most interesting scenario for Jalen Hurts to end up in? Yeah, so my uh, analytics top 300 model had him as the fourth overall prospect. That uh, makes adjustments for position. Of course, quarterback's by far the most the most valuable position. My yeah. personal rankings, I think I have him like around like the 20th best player. Um, 
in my model, he was behind Burrow and Tua, and then it was him um, above Herbert. I'm going to flip Herbert and Hurts on my personal rankings. But Jalen Hurts, first-round prospect for me, the position's too valuable. He was way too good. Um, I think his floor is higher than people are giving credit for, just because mm-hmm. he's such a good runner. He led college football and red zone rushing touchdowns last year with 17. That includes running backs. Um, you're getting a really strong athlete. And I think that there's enough development with him, um, especially for a 21-year-old, that you're, a team should be willing to, to take a fire on him like around the round one, two turn. I don't think we'll get him that high. I think he'll probably be a late round two, early round three type of player. Um, but I, I hope I hope it's somebody that he can learn under a veteran for one year because he's he's still super young. I wouldn't want to start him as a rookie, but give him a chance uh, as a, a year two NFL player to, to start some games. Yeah, I think you're spot on about the floor here because to me, like the floor is like a journeyman Tyrod Taylor type, right. you know, someone who's mobile who has that dual threat element. But isn't necessarily, like, you know, we're Bills fans, so we had Tyrod for a while. You know, he wasn't going to win us a Super Bowl no matter how good the team was. Unfortunately, we didn't think so, at least. The ceiling could be somewhere around Russell Wilson. I mean, truly, he's got right. all of the athletic talent there. And Russell has all the intangibles that only a handful do. So we'll see if Hurts has. But he's got the, the leadership element. He comes from a winning program, too, actually. Um, I, I, I think my most, my favorite uh, destination for him is for the Panthers to steal him in the second after taking Isaiah Simmons and they basically get the quarterback of the future. He can learn behind Teddy. I mean, it, I just think that would be such a nice fit. Um, yeah. And I mean, that'd be, that's kind of the exact role you're, you're looking for like one of these teams with a bridge quarterback. I don't think Teddy's a long-term starter. Um, he's good right. enough to start a couple games or maybe a year or two, have him learn under somebody like that, get him in the right system. But once again, just like how we were talking about uh, with some of these receivers, he's somebody that needs to go in a system built for him. For him, um, He needs to get running the ball. He needs to get outside of the pocket. He's not going to be somebody that you're going to ask to take eight-step or seven-step drops and just sit there and read coverages. But if he gets to a creative coordinator, somebody that can, he can get the ball out quickly, let him run a little bit. I, I mean, the the running quarterbacks, I mean, I don't, I'm not that big of a fan of Josh Allen, but at the end of the day, at least he can run the ball around. And at least that's keeping the offense afloat when things are starting to break down. I think Jalen Hurts could do that. And maybe he can become a better passer. Yeah, I actually, I do think he's a, I think he's a better passing prospect than Josh Allen was. Um, I'm hopeful as best Bills fans, we're hopeful that it's, he's, you know, his error is going to keep pointing up. We'll see. I actually, you know, the Bills traded their first round pick. I would have zero issue if we used our second round pick on Jalen Hurts, because the way I see it, we're kind of selling out for Josh Allen's rookie contract. And Jeff and I, we try to be very objective about Josh Allen, unlike some of Bill's Mafia on Twitter who attacks, you know, analytics guys who are understandably down on Allen. Uh, I think Hertz offers that, like, that plan B, someone to develop. And worst case scenario, we've got Tyrod Taylor on a rookie contract behind Josh Allen if he gets hurt. Because guess what? When you play the style that Josh Allen does, you are going to take licks. I mean, look what he, you know, in, his, in the first yeah. uh, Patriots game, we lost him for the last drive. When we we're, you know, we're in striking distance, so um, yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page there, and I think we are all definitely above the public on Jalen Hurts. I'll be very interested to see if he starts sneaking into first round mocks because I haven't seen him anywhere right now. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah, Josh Hermsmeyer was putting like um, intermediate results of a project he was working on on Twitter about a week and a half ago, and Jalen Hurts had a 11% CPOE for 2019. 
And just like for quick CPO reference, Jeff, for people if they don't know it, uh, completion percentage over expected. Hmm. Um, so like basically depth adjusted. And for the college, she has some like conference variables in there too. So 11, uh, 11 points over expected. For some references, Joe Burrow was 14 over expected this year. And in 2011, Russell Wilson was 16 points over expected. Yep. So, uh, so pretty good. Pretty good company. And Jeff, you pointed out to, to Josh, Frisco Josh on Twitter, uh, that Trevor Lawrence did not perform very well in this metric in either of his years. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. He was like had a table of like the top like 15 or 20, and uh, Trevor Lawrence was not on there for the CPOE. And he did say that CPOE is just one variable of the model he was building. So, um, you know, he could place higher in some other parts. But, yeah, it was just interesting that, uh, you know, he didn't rate as highly despite being just kind of like consensus, you know, 101 next year. And uh, with Justin Fields uh, was like really high up there. So yeah. it was like, hmm. Like sure. Kind of a interesting. Maybe you have like a Lock RG three yep. or Lock Wilson in this class. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, so another guy we already talked a little bit about Justin Jefferson, but Cam Akers is someone that you you know identified as a player you wanted to talk about, and Jeff has been all over Cam Akers as well. So um, you know, what do you see in this guy, and where do you have him ranked in your personal ranks now? Yeah, I I, I have a, a clear cut top five. Um, Running backs, it's, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, DeAndre Swift, and Cam Akers. Um, how I sort those out ultimately is kind of left up for, like, what I think is going to be best for, off of the tape. Um, but Cam Akers is so young. He's only, he was 20 years old. Um, he'll be 20 years old when he gets drafted. He had a much better year last year under Florida State. Just when, some of these guys, when they're a five-star recruit, they immediately start at a Power 5 uh, school and just maintain – the starting level player, and then they declare early. Those are the type of guys we want. Um, so I'm going to be bullish on Cam Akers. He's going to probably be, I would guess he's going to be my RB5 uh, ultimately, but I'm curious what you guys think about him. Yeah, uh, he's RB3 for me. Uh goes Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers. Um, I mean, I, who, are your, who do you have ahead of him? Edwards Hilaire and, Do- and Dobbins? Yeah, um, oh, I feel like um hilarious to an extent i mean he's still a good player um and obviously he'll have the receiving ability that a lot of um, guys don't have he's also to me kind of like a product of the system and i mean that lsu offense just being so electric and um you know i think it's close with uh acres and dobbins for me um but like with not having like the um a complete profile on dobbins yet and uh you know the fact he kind of like was in a committee his sophomore year and, you know, if he was really, like, that next-level talent, I feel like, like, he should have just been the workhorse um, instead of being in a committee. So, whereas, like, um, Akers just has an 89th percentile dominator. So, um, you know, that's why I have him, like, above those guys. But, you know, clearly there's a reason that Taylor is one and then um, Swift is two. Yeah, um, one last thing about Cam Akers, 54th percentile spark athlete, but he was actually a 71st percentile adjusted spark athlete. Um, there, what you'll see is you'll see like a like 15 to 20% differences between adjusted spark and regular spark. Cam Akers is somebody that I'm even going to be higher on than the consensus is. But, I mean, Cam Akers got a lot of truthers out there. I, I mean, he's going to be like a, a third-round pick. Hopefully he goes to a team that needs a starter. I'm hoping like the Falcons – I mean, now the Rams, somebody like that, where you can actually go in there and 
have the every down roll because he has a he has a three down profile if he uh, lives up to his hype. Don't do that to Darrell Henderson Dynasty Troopers, man. Come on, we just got. <laughs> I, I, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. But <laughs> but Cam Akers is really good, so I wouldn't hate it that yeah. much. No, yeah, that that would be an interesting landing spot for any running back in this class. All right, so so we talked a little bit about Cam Akers. Another guy in the running back class that people were certainly sleeping on before, and now he's starting to gain some truthers, is A.J. Dillon. He was the running back I said to watch at the Combine. I think that was a pretty obvious call, considering he's 247 pounds and was was said to have run in the 4.4s back when, I think it was sophomore year, maybe. Um, The funny thing is, he dominated in Spark and adjusted Spark. I think it was 99th percentile in both. Uh, Weight adjusted speed score was through the roof. So I call him a beefed up Saquon before the combine just because his legs are tree trunks. I think, you know, he's heavy, but it's all muscle and he's more of a power back, less multidimensional than Saquon. But I think that comp is somewhat there. And I don't think there's really anyone else who's been reminiscent of a beefed up Saquon. So, you know, how's Dylan's testing changed his stock to you, Hayden? Uh, and, and where do you see him potentially falling now after blowing it up? Yeah, so he, for me, he's into that like tier two mix, which is um, after those top five guys, it's Eno Benjamin, Zach Moss, and then uh, AJ Taylor. That's that's what my model has. When I'm watching AJ Taylor or AJ Dillon, uh, somebody that is clearly a, a, a power runner, he struggled as a receiver. And that was my only dilemma here. I don't think he's going to be uh, on the field on third downs, which is which isn't that big of a deal. Um, if, you, if you're an NFL team, you're drafting him in the third or fourth round, which is probably where he's going to get drafted this year. Um, but he did lead college football um, with 23 first downs in the fourth quarter. I mean, just somebody that's just going to grind it out um, as a runner. Um, just these guys are just very replaceable. Um, but for fantasy, I mean, he's the guy after the first um, top five guys that you're probably targeting. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of my favorite landing spots for him is Baltimore. And the reason being, Mark Ingram is towards the twilight of his career. I think he's still got something to add. But if you think about it, Baltimore doesn't really – there's a reason that Gus Edwards is a full-time player for them, uh, not last year but two years ago, because they don't use their running back in the pass game really. Now, they've got Justice Hill. Uh, I really like Justice Hill as a fantasy prospect. But come on, A.J. Dillon in that, in that running attack, downhill when you've got the lateral ability of Lamar, that would be disgusting. Yeah, with the the Ravens, obviously they're a super um, analytical-driven team. They're not going to be a team that's going to be drafting a running back really high. I think they are going to be a team that's going to be drafting them in the mid-rounds, and they're going to be drafting guys with strong analytical profiles. And that is certainly A.J. Dillon with his production and athleticism. So, I mean, yeah, that's a brilliant landing spot. And, like, on the surface, it sounds like it's even uh, probable. Yeah, I'm excited about this guy. I think he's really cool. And from a fantasy perspective— You'll probably, I think smart fantasy analysts who do factor in analytics are going, I don't know many that don't, but uh, who factor, they're going to be on AJ Dillon. So he's probably going to be a, a hot name um, after the draft, regardless of where he goes, unless he gets buried behind, I don't know, Derrick Henry or something. Um, All right. So shifting to some other big boys on the other side of the ball, Derrick Henry and Javon Kinlaw, uh, two guys in their own tier in this class of interior D line. Kinlaw didn't test. Oh, what did I say? Derrick Henry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Freudian slip there. Freudian slip, no doubt. I'm a big Henry guy. Um, Derek Brown, they're they're both in their own tier, I think. Kinlaw didn't test, but Brown did. It didn't go very well. Uh, thoughts on these two and just who you'd prefer at this point? Yeah, so um, I'm going to be lower on cons- consensus than uh, on Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw, just a position that doesn't really matter too much um, in general. So like my analytics top 300 board there, 
um, further down than what uh, they're probably going to get drafted. But Derek Brown on tape looked so much better than what he tested. Those agility numbers, I don't know how they were that bad. I'm guessing he just didn't prepare for them, which um, I think some people throw out the window completely, but that might kind of tell us that he's not like a like working as hard as some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, even even if they are better on tape, you still wanted to test well. That means that they're preparing for the stuff. But uh, I think my analytical big board, I have Derek Brown as a 22nd overall prospect. He'll be a little bit higher on my personal rankings. Um, he He's the best defensive tackle in the class still, even with those agility scores for me. Um, and he had 54 tackles last year. So he's he wasn't uh, not productive. He was the best on tape. He had the most on-field production. So um, it's just kind of a pos- positional value thing with those two. Yeah. And, and last on just like specific players, you know, the offensive tackle class has been talked a lot about being legendary and not talked about enough relative to the wide receiver class that continues to dominate the conversation. Uh, you know, it looks like we have six potential first round picks out of this offensive tackle class. You know, some of them might play guard. That's kind of what I'm expecting. You had Mekhi Becton mocked to the Giants at four, which, you know, as much as much about Becton's freakish combine as it is GM Dave Gettleman's love of free. That's right. Is he your OT one or is that more of just like a fit situation? Yeah, uh, he's going to be, I think, my number one. But Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills are like all deserving of like number one spots. If this is a different class, I think um, they would all be OT ones. And then Andrew Thomas is like right behind them as the fourth guy. I think all uh, three of those guys can go top 10 and then Andrew Thomas can go in the top 15, uh, at least like the top 18. And then you have Joshua Jones um, and – Austin Jackson from USC as like the next guys, but yeah, super strong class. I think they're all going to be fine off the board. Um, I think you saw some, uh, some teams um, addressing the free agency a little bit differently. Um, some teams got their offensive tackles early than some of them left uh, OT open. Like I think the Browns could easily grab somebody at 10. Um, but yeah, really good class at the top. Um, and that's good because I don't think the interior offensive lineman class is very good. Yeah, I, I guess we'll get to this to this mock draft then. Uh, you did caveat. I thought this was very valuable, Hayden. You did caveat that pre-free agency mocks are worthless. Something I agree with. You know, we're obviously looking for content to talk about and think about for our team's perspective, but also to see how this thing will shake out. Uh, I do mine later after free agency, which has obviously just started to happen this week. Uh, it can satisfy our football cravings, so we appreciate it. And the first pick I want to highlight here is your former employer. Los Angeles Chargers grabbing Tua on the move uh, up to third overall. Before I get to that, I forgot to ask you before. Are you a Chargers fan? Do you have a team that you support? Yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to, like, write about these teams, like, like 50 hours a week and then not have some allegiance. I right. would kind of – like, I root for the Chargers. I'm not, like, a, a fan by any means. When I was applying to the Chargers, I certainly was not a fan. Mm. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I have people that still work there, and I want to see them uh, have some fun. So yeah, I don't I don't dislike the Chargers. Okay, fair enough. So on this move, you know, thoughts on the fit here, Tua in Los Angeles with the Chargers and the aggressive move up. Yeah, so I, I think this is like pretty realistic for somebody to go up and trade with the Lions at three if the Redskins don't want to trade out of the Chase Young pick. And the Chargers, they were chasing Brady. Um, I think that they are fine with Tyrod Taylor as their quarterback for year one, but they still need to sell tickets. And like, I was in the marketing department for the chargers. I can tell you 
that they are struggling to sell tickets. That is like mm. a fact from the marketing department. Yeah. And I think Tua Tagovailoa is the guy that can be selling tickets. And they're not looking for uh, week three single game tickets. They're looking for people to invest into the stadium. And Tua Tagovailoa is that guy to do it. Um, I think that they're going to be competing with the Dolphins uh, for that. Maybe one of these two teams, though, likes Herbert more. But I would be pretty surprised if uh, the Dolphins or the Chargers don't move up to grab uh, Tua. And that's just assuming that his um, hip is fine. Sounds like it is improving. Um, But with the coronavirus stuff, we're not getting like actual testing like you usually would have. Um, So maybe teams are hesitant, but I think he's just too good. Um, His name's too big um, for the marketing department. They would love it. You're getting a name in there and you have Tyrod to start the first year if you need to. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, the other thing is I love that Detroit still ends up with Okuda after trading down something that they absolutely should do, in my opinion. They were the number one trade down candidate to me. They're, They're at a pivot point for quarterbacks. And why wouldn't you? you know, still end up with a top tier prospect, but, you know, get a treasure trove of picks to just move down a couple spots. Oh, we mentioned coronavirus. And it's, it is related. <laughs> no, it's it's actually completely related, though. So uh, Will and I were just talking after the Diggs trade, uh, how much perhaps the Bills not having the full opportunity to vet the wide receiver prospects and have like a higher level of confidence going into the draft might have played a role in um, in making the trade for Diggs. Do you do you think like some teams might actually like, uh, go into the draft with a higher degree of uncertainty because of the disruption and like of the uh, pre-draft process? Do you think some teams might act differently and like trading down a lot more than usual or stocking up 2021 picks? I mean, I think that that would be pretty smart for teams to do that. I, I don't have that much faith in teams think thinking like that um that they're pretty much win now and not forward thinkers mm-hmm. but i mean if i was doing it i would be looking to possibly get some 21 uh picks um i think the the big things with the coronavirus in the draft is we're not going to see nearly as many people that weren't invited to the combine um get selected i think it's just going to be a very combine driven draft and the people that didn't test at the combine i think might get pushed down um so someone like maybe like jk dobbins we're not going to get pro day numbers from a lot of these guys um, so I think they kind of, I mean, they didn't really know this at the time, um, but they kind of shot themselves in the foot there. Uh, but then even taking a step further after the draft's even completed, I wouldn't be surprised if like rookie production in general is not as high as it usually is, because I'm not sure if we're going to get um, full off seasons. I mean, these next couple of weeks, like, we're, we're for sure not going to have any, uh, any workout. So maybe if training camp gets pushed back, I'm not sure if these offenses are going to um, be willing to trot out rookie guys if they haven't been practicing as much. So those are the the big replications of it all. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It's it's a crazy time. You know, we were talking about it right before. It's uh, I'm not sure that we're in position necessarily to, to comment on you know how this is going to affect the league. One thing I've been asked a lot about is will this affect the NFL draft specifically? I'd be interested to hear your take, Hayden. But my my thought is. It shouldn't because you can remove the in-person, the, you know, I guess a lot of people gathering element of the NFL draft and have basically everything else, including the production element of it, you know, the TV element of it, basically be the same. You can still have cameras inside people's houses. You know, you can still have cameras inside the war room for these teams. Uh, and, and then you can still have the, the analysts on the screen. And hell, you know, put Goodell in an empty room. <laughs> 
and have him announce the picks. I think people would still love that, right? Yeah, you can send me to the Goodell room and I'll boo boo him on behalf of the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> booing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Check, check everyone's temperature, maximum of 10 people. Roger Goodell yeah. walks out with the card. Just boo and him. With the first trip, you just have 10 people. Boo, you suck. Yeah, yeah. so we could, we could do that. The only thing, I think the actually broadcasting the draft is totally doable. The only thing that is the uh, potentially worrisome is if teams are saying, hey, other teams are willing to do some of these travel things. They're still coming into the facilities and we don't feel comfortable having our employees work at the facilities still. And that there's uh, some kind of uh, unfair advantage yeah. for some teams saying uh, we're okay uh, risking our employees to study the tape more. Um, but I think that's kind of like worrying about it too much. I'm going to guess that the draft continues on. Uh, the broadcast won't be as cool, but uh, maybe we get like into war rooms um, more this year and they're going to try to wow the the viewer by that way. But um, yeah, That'd I think cool. we'll have the draft late, uh, late April still. Yeah. I, what I, what I tweeted about was unless there's some, you know, significant hampering of the pre-draft process from a team's perspective, like kind of like what you just laid out, this shouldn't be delayed. There's a feasible way to go about this that doesn't endanger anyone and still gives us you know, this awesome event that, you know, has been so sensationalized. The last thing is they don't know when it's going to be at its worst. So the the NFL draft, by delaying it, they could be delaying it into even worse conditions mm. um, in America where it's just, it's just so up in the air and, like, it's growing basically kind of exponentially that if you do wait too long, it could even get be affecting millions of people um, where maybe they just want to get rid of uh, just, like, have it end right away while they can. I think that's what they're, they decided with, with free agency. And uh, I mean, this, the thing just lingers and lingers and lingers. Maybe they just want to get it over with. That's a good point. You know, it also gives them a chance, uh, the teams that is, gives the teams a chance to work with these rookies, uh, potentially in a more of a remote way where right. they're, they're going to lose some of this off season stuff, right? It's going to be impacted. So to give them that same amount of time, uh, you know, and allow them to adjust for the remote capabilities potentially, or give them a workout regimen, that sort of thing. So I think that makes sense. Definitely hoping for that. So, you know, we're not sitting here on all this NFL draft stuff and we got five more months until it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So last one I wanted to bring up here is our Buffalo bills. Obviously we traded out of the first round, uh, that was pick 22. You had T Higgins mock to them. We got Stefan Diggs, which thrilled about, um, much better. Yeah, I mean, just in general, that really worried me because of the uncertainty of first round of, of wide receivers in the draft, period. Uh, do you still see the Bills addressing wide receiver in the draft in, let's just say, their second or third round pick? Yeah, I don't know what how long John Brown was signed for um, or Cole Beasley. Um, obviously, their wide receiver four, I don't even know who it was. I think we were hoping that was like Robert Foster. I, I'm not even sure if he's on the team still. Maybe, maybe they brought him back, but he's not, for some reason, not a major part of the plan. Right, yeah. So, I mean, if they did, I think it would be later in the draft. I wouldn't be worried about them grabbing something like the top 100 picks. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, looking, they're looking pretty strong right now for their supporting cast. I think they're going to grab an RB2 to kind of pair with Devin Singletary. I'm not sure if they think he's a three-down guy. He kind of got subbed out in a lot of key situations last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he clearly looked good enough, like, as a runner, um, and he's comfortable as a, as a receiver. But I think they're going to bring a bigger back end, give him, like, a little Frank Gore type thing. That would be the position that I think they're going to target um, maybe, like, day two or in free agency. 
Yeah, it's a good point. They brought Tywin Jones back. Uh, someone I don't think inspires all that much excitement, <laughs> especially amongst Bills fans. So I, I think, you know, hey, we already talked about it, but A.J. Dillon would be kind of interesting bruiser. Right. But, in, but instead, a lot of people were pointing out, too, hey, you know, we've got a pretty versatile back. You may not be able to carry the load, but why why bring someone in that's specifically a goal line back? Bring someone else in that's versatile. This this running back class is pretty damn loaded, man. I agree. I agree. Uh I was lucky enough with Josh Norris. We interviewed Brandon Bean and Sean yeah, McDermott for Roto yeah. World. Yeah, and I asked Great him specifically stuff. about uh, Singletary and his goal line role, and he just dodged that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just talked about Frank Gore, which is kind of disappointing. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think there's room for another guy. I, I would be totally fine with Devin Singletary as my RB1. Um, I would want to go with a committee back backfield just because of his, his size. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, the offense in general, just if Josh Allen could take another step as a passer, I mean, was, that's a really strong receiving core. Um, Dawson Knox showed us some things, um, despite not playing that much at Old Miss. And Devin Singletary's good. They're addressing the offensive line the last couple off seasons, So they're ready to roll. Yeah, we're, we're excited. I mean, we basically uh, carve out a little bit of time in each episode to talk about the Bills. You know, it's exciting. I think a lot of people are going to hop on the, the Bills Mafia bandwagon soon, we hope. Um, is but it I've a got... bandwagon or is it like a chain of folding tables? Yeah, the folding table. <laughs> on wheels, <laughs> just repetitive <laughs> over and over again. Uh, My, when, when I, so after we talked, because we had like 15 minutes with uh, the GM and then in a separate interview with the head coach, Josh and I walked away as Bills fans, like believing in the process and stuff. I think. I think they're just a quarterback away. That's that's my take. They're a quarterback away. They have the rest of it figured out. Um, but they're, they'll roll with Josh Allen. I don't blame them. Uh, but if, it, if he if he can't improve, I would. They're a team that I would love just to be aggressive, flip the switch, do that Mahomes thing. We're like, ah, yeah, he's okay. But that's like uh, referring to Alex Smith and just go for it. And maybe they they catch fire because the rest of the organization, the rest of the roster is loaded. I mean, yeah. I kind of want us. Like to get Cam or Jameis right now, you know, you, you say, like, "Look, you're coming in as you're coming in as the backup, but like this, uh, you know, basically the Tannehill uh, to yeah. Allen this year. Like, bring in. I mean, Cam would probably be better because it's based. They're basically like the same style of player. Um, you bring, but Jameis is also just a gunslinger. I I want to just bring one of them in and say, "Look, Josh, like this is your year, but if you know halfway through the season." Um, this is a Super Bowl t- roster, so man. I gotta say, Bills fans, Bills fans would absolutely hate that, but like, <laughs> hey, I, I think I think Jeff and I have enough interest in being objective and, and focusing on the analytics and ways teams actually win, and not just being you know very <laughs> caveman like and ah, uh, it's about size and momentum. That that we'd be open to something like that. I think the cam argument would be hilarious because of the analytics community going in uproar like, wow, they brought in another runner who can't pass. Yep. <laughs> or is exactly. it accurate? Oh, man. Yeah. All right, last question for you here, Hayden. Who is someone that we didn't talk about that may not be getting talked about a lot or at all that we definitely need to keep our eyes on well after the draft? So um, just we'll keep it for fantasy. Um, Devin yeah. DuVernay, Texas slot receiver. He's kind of undersized, but he ran a sub 4-4. He had a lot of production, and that was with Colin Johnson, who is somebody that was uh, kind of getting like top five receiver love at one point coming as a prospect, and just straight out just was much better than him. 
Um, and that was a, on a decent Texas football team. And once again, power five guy that's probably going to be drafted in the third or fourth round. Um, he's outside of everybody's top 10 wide receiver rankings. I think that's somebody that can uh, go in there and compete for a slot role um, in the NFL. Super explosive. Um, he's like jacked up, but he's like small, but he's like really muscular. Um, and somebody's somebody's tape that I enjoyed watching. So that's so that's my guy. That's awesome. Jeff, I know you had a, uh, a final question here. Yes, well, the actual the actual last question. In the year 2020, is Leonard Fournette a good football player? It's a highly debated topic um, on this podcast. Well, even if he was a good running back, it wouldn't matter because he yep. is a running back. Thank you. Thank but you. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. He's like an average runner. Like his – I was looking at his like goal line production stuff was awful – um, I mean, in like high leverage situations, even for a big athletic back was not like producing like you would expect. Um, definitely somebody I wouldn't be giving out a big contract. I think his contract's up uh, next yes. offseason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whoever signs him to like eight million a year, like terrible idea. But uh, I mean, for fantasy, he's going to be like a borderline RB1 again because they have nobody else to kind of go through the offense with. And he's going to catch 60 passes again get 20 carries a game so um for fantasy purposes i don't hate it uh as a real life player uh yeah you can have him yeah <laughs> jeff is, as well yeah I, I was just gonna say i mean when we just we have to distinguish like you just distinguish right as a real life if i'm pretending to be gm yeah I, if i'm the jags i trade leonard Fournette right away like if you're tra- selling everyone why not just roll with brycoil armstead and see what you got from fantasy, the reason I'm smitten with him is because his snap share is top three elite level. He's actually a very capable receiver, and the offense is kind of running around him and DJ Chark downfield, right? Uh, and, yeah, his his goal line numbers were terrible. He had, I think he had three touchdowns, rushing touchdowns last year. Uh, but the carry numbers were there. He was, at the end of the day, efficient because of a couple long runs. But he actually looked much more explosive than he had in any of his prior years. So, fantasy perspective... Still going to roll with him. All right, Jeff, is that okay with you? <laughs> That's okay. Uh, all right, so, Hayden, any final thoughts on the draft or anything else? Uh, you know, your debut on Contested Catch, I know it's quite the honor. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, I mean, definitely rolling out with Jalen Hurts. Got to get the, the hype going. He needs yes, to get to the end of the first round. Get him in your uh, first-round grades. That's the guy that we're all rooting for for the analytics community. And his tape is not so bad. Like, it's I like. Not. Like, he's not the greatest passer ever. Like, he underthrows some deep balls. But the guy does way more good than bad. I mean, you just sit there and you're watching him. It's like eight-yard run, eight-yard run, eight-yard run, and then, like, a long pass to C.D. Lamb. Like, he's productive. So, that's my guy. Uh, Very nice 69% completion percentage this year. Even better. (laughs) See? Yeah, even better. You you love when you can find some random stats out there. Like, I think Cam Akers had 69 career receptions. Like, you just love that stuff. So, that's what the draft's for. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, Hayden, thank you so much for your time and the information. I know our fans are going to enjoy this, and and we appreciate it. So you can find Hayden on Twitter, at Hayden Winks. That's H-A-Y-D-E-N-W-I-N-K-S. Check out his work on Roto World as well. It's awesome. I'm personally a big consumer of it. Appreciate you, man. I hope you have it on again uh, sometime in the future. Absolutely. Fight on, guys. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed, and we'll catch you on the next episode.